The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Mr. Late-Round Quarterback himself, J.J. Zacharyson. He uh, has released his prospect guidebook. He's got, he's got the takes, the model evaluations of, uh, of all of these guys. And, I mean, we got a shit ton of news in the NFL as well, so we can talk about, uh, about some of that stuff. But haven't, haven't talked to J.J. in a while, so excited to, uh, to get these takes, dude. Yeah, man. I'm excited to talk about it. You know, the, the prospect stuff, I feel like, you know, the casual folks uh, who, you know, are, are just looking at this stuff for rookie drafts and whatnot are probably starting to get into it right now. But, uh, you know, with the prospect guide and stuff, I've been in the weeds uh, with it over the last month or so. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I guess that I think this is a weird class, even, even now being like a month into it and watching these guys, it's, it's, and it's not a weird class through any fault of the players who are in it. But specifically for the wide receivers, it's just it's so hard to evaluate this class and like what, you know, the 104 would be worth or whatever, considering that these last two years have been like beyond historic. I mean, we have Justin Mm -hmm. Jefferson, Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Kyle Pitts, like just like an unbelievable 10 year superstars are coming out in rookie drafts the last two years. And that is who you know, Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And these guys are all being compared to, and it's, uh, it's just, it's very interesting. It is. It's a class. I think a wide receiver that is not as top heavy as what we saw and what we've seen over the last, you know, like last year, I would argue if you compare this year to last year's class, I think this year's class is actually deeper, but I think that last year's class um, you know, had, had the studs, you know, you had Jamar, you had three top 10 picks. I mean, obviously you had, you had a lot of studs last year. Uh, I I don't, I don't think that you're going to get that from this year's class. Um, you know, one of the, the marks in my model, you know, I I basically rank these guys in terms of percentile ranking and anything over the 95th percentile is usually a pretty good hit rate. And last year you had like four, I think it was five guys that hit that mark. Uh, you know, you had the top three, you had Elijah Moore, you had Rashad Bateman, uh, whereas in this year's class, uh, I just, I, I don't know if any of them are really going to get there. If the capital's not there, I think that some will trickle in, you know, Garrett Wilson has a good chance to do that right now with projected draft capital. He's in the 97th percentile. So he's looking good. You know, Drake London could be there. Traylon Burks is iffy and he's looking like he's slipping at least a little bit from a capital standpoint. You know, Chris Olave is interesting, but there's no locked in guys like we had last year. I think that's the difference between this year and last year, but I do think that there's some decent depth. Like you can get, if you have a, if you're in the late first, early second round of rookie drafts, you're not in a bad spot because the difference between those guys versus like the, you know, one Oh five, one Oh six is not dramatically different. Yeah. I mean, you know, just kind of looking at ADP guys like Christian Watson, sky Moore, 
uh, Wandale. I mean, these are, these are second round picks. And like, I love Sky Moore. Uh, and the, I mean, the other thing that I think could really throw rookie drafts in flux this year is that despite, as you're saying, you know, a deeper class, but maybe not the true, you know, 99th percentile style prospects, there are so many teams in the back half of the first round that are desperate for a wide receiver. I, I mean, I think we could see six or seven wide receivers yeah. go in the first round and guys who, you know, last year would have been second, third round picks going way up, you know, Sky Moore, Jamison Williams, George Pickens, um, you know, the Packers need two wide receivers probably. And they pick twice there. The Eagles need a wide receiver, the chiefs. I mean, if they, if they do not acquire a wide receiver with one of their first two picks, I would be shocked. Um, and that, I mean, they're, they're just so many and the jets, need a wide receiver. I tweeted the other day about, you know, teams that could potentially be needing one and, and like just immediate jets fans are just spamming my mentions saying like, we desperately need a wide receiver. We can't be out here with Corey Davis as, as you know, a guy getting honor targets. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, if you look at the list of wide outs in this class, uh, I, I think it's a lock that we're going to see five wide receivers drafted in the first, like that's the baseline, right? Cause you're going to yeah. get Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Drake London, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams in the, in the first round. Uh, and given what's going on at the back half of the first round now, like the very tail end, especially with Kansas city, getting rid of Tyreek. And then you mentioned green Bay, you know, I think that there's a chance that those five wide receivers are gone by some of those picks. And so you're going to be forced you know, is George Pickens going to be sliding into the late first now is, you know, there's been a lot of hype behind Sky Moore. I mean, I remember when I first looked at Sky Moore's profile in like January, I started to get so excited about him. And at that time he was projected as like a fringe top 100 pick. And yep. now, now there's a lot of talk that he could slide into the late first round. I mean, that's just the way that the, the, not only the are chiefs things, are, are rumored to be in on Sky Moore. Um, if, if Sky Moore goes to the chiefs, I, I'm, I won't have pants on for like three weeks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like there, there's a lot of players like that, uh, who are, who are not only just gaining hype, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of need at wide receiver across the league. You mentioned Christian Watson, you know, more of a raw player, uh, but someone who I, I, th I think we should expect at this point is going to go in like the top 50. And, and if there's a team that just falls in love, who knows what happens with, with a guy like that. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of players who were at least like early second round guys who could slip in only because there's such a need at wide out across the league. So what are, what are your models making of the guys who I, I think the two most interesting guys in this draft class are Jamison Williams and George Pickens. My, my guess is that had George Pickens not been injured, had not torn his ACL in the spring game for Georgia. My guess is that he would have played extremely well for Georgia as they were a really good team and that he would have had, you know, the, the sort of market share dominator rating numbers that we, you know, associate with truly elite prospects and he's an early declare um, and he put up good times, you know, what uh, eight months removed from the ACL injury. Mm -hmm. And I, I am just, I am like, he is the guy I think I am most bullish on uh, compared to consensus. So what is What are the models make of him? Yeah. So the, the thing with like a guy like Pickens is that, you know, a prospect model is looking at production. Like my, my model looks at things like max season yards per team pass attempt max season receptions per game and max season touchdown shares, the three main production metrics that go into this, you know, those things independently aside from yards per team pass attempt uh, might not matter that much. If you do like a, a quick correlation test, but when combined, they seem to give me pretty good signal the way that I have things set up. Um, so like receptions per game, for instance, 
you know, you look at that as a metric and it's like that, you know, that's, that's not, that's something that can sway very easily and be skewed very easily based on how pass heavy an offense is. Right. But I think the reason why it works within the model is because with a metric like yards per team pass attempt, uh, it's like, you know, but yards per team pass attempt is like a, a, a market share statistic that sort of looks like a rate stat an efficiency stat, but it, it really, you know, it can skew towards players who make really big plays like a Diami Brown entering last year. Right. Yeah. But the reason why I think it works with receptions per game is because it kind of hones it in. Right. Cause if a player is seeing a lot of big plays, if he is doing that rece- uh, while, while catching a lot of passes then he's probably just a good player. Right. But if right. he's doing that and skewing that number with a low receptions per game, the model is going to point that out and say, Hey, you know, maybe he's not as good of a prospect. A guy like George Pickens though, doesn't have a complete production profile because he went through the journey uh, of, of the torn ACL and dealing with that and not really be able, being able to maximize his production, um, you know, as a junior. And so, uh, you know, you have to do a little projecting for a guy like Pickens, which is fine. Right. Uh, in the model right now, my, my prospect score is like an 85th percentile guy. Uh, and that's with the assumption that he's like a mid second round pick. Um, and from a comp standpoint, again, my, the way I run comps is it's more size, uh, on top of, and it's not really athleticism, but with, with wide receiver, but it's more size combined with production profile. And the guy that, that he matched up with most again, with the notion that his production profile is incomplete. So he's like a beefier beat, you know, boosted up version of this guy was Nico Collins was the original, uh, the original comp, but on that, on that comp list was T Higgins. Right. So like, you know, you're looking at a guy who probably has that kind of ceiling like a Higgins uh, but we should probably from like a median projection projection standpoint, say maybe he's like a better version of a Nico Collins, right? Which is not bad. Nico Collins wasn't a bad prospect. Right. Um, and so yeah, and he, he, he got on the field at least, you know, as, as a rookie, which is yeah, a huge deal. He wasn't, he wasn't terrible this past year. And like the, the thing with Pickens um, is, you know, you don't have a ton of perimeter alphas in this class, uh, which we're not going to really, we just haven't seen that really in general across what we're seeing out of college football and the way the NFL is trending. Like, like that's why I'm, I I'm like nervous about Drake London, even though, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like wide receiver one guy. He's he's Mike Evans. He's the best. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, you know, the NFL today is a little bit different. We have to be cognizant of that. And we also have to be cognizant of like what the college game is giving us uh, in terms of just like talent and prospects and what kind of builds they are. Like, I don't think it's like, you know, alpha X wide receivers are dead. I just think that there's a lot of uh, variation to the wide receiver position where it's okay. If you want to fall in love with a slot guy, it's okay. If you want to, you know, like Elijah right. Moore last year, it's okay. If you want to really like that guy uh, because he can work in today's league. Uh, but Pickens is more of a, you know, he's, he's got size is, you know, he's still a little bit thinner, uh, but he's got enough size. He can play the perimeter. Um, and we just don't see that frequently. Like, like think of a guy like Pickens, in even like a, I mean, either, either offense we were talking about, whether it's green Bay or Kansas city, they need perimeter players. Like they need someone on the outside, especially Kansas city. My goodness. I mean, like I, I would hope that Kansas city would able to, would be able to replace Tyree kill with a little bit of speed. Like I think the, the perfect spot or perfect player for them is like Chris Olave. Like it would yeah. just be, or even Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams. Yeah. yeah. Like one of those guys would be great. Cause they need that speed. They need that, that, that threat on the outside but they just need a threat on the outside at this point because Juju's not going to play that role or hopefully they're not going to push him and force him into that role. So, uh, you know, I think Pickens is going to find a spot. This is why just given that he, he can play as that, that X on the outside, um, you know, I do think that, that he could slide into the first round as a result. 
and I think Jamison Williams could too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really dependent on what the Packers do, right? The Packers and the Chiefs, like if, uh, if they both defer, well, I mean, there's like, I think it's very unlikely there's a world where the Packers don't take a wide receiver, um, but maybe they don't take two, you know, maybe they just take mm-hmm. one uh, and maybe the, maybe the Chiefs only take one. But I, I, I Jamison Williams is fascinating too, because only one season of production, right? And he transfers away from Ohio State and what, kind of my my thinking this entire time on um, Jamison Williams is I'm really not going to hold it against him that he didn't want to play with two other first round wide receivers and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, there was another guy there his freshman year as well, who was uh, uh, I, I'm Jackson drunk. Smith. Well, so he's the guy that I think he gets to training camp or, uh, you know, spring training. And he's like, I'm just not going to get on the field because Smith and Igba is, is yeah, so I mean, unbelievable. J- JSN, JSN's gonna be like i mean he could be i mean there's two two very good studs next year but i mean jsn is is an incredible incredible prospect so it's like you know to your point jameson williams is staring there sitting there looking at like the potential to play with three first round wide receivers you know you can give him at least a little bit of a pass for wanting to move away and it's not like he went to the sec and just like was trash you know he was still very very productive yeah and and uh uh was really productive in like against good defenses, uh, like I, you know, the the SEC production thing is like such a meme. But like I, I mean, I really do weight that, like because there's such a difference between producing in the Pac-12 and in the SEC in my mind. You know, because the Pac-12 has a bunch of accountants playing defense, rel- you know, relatively speaking, compared to the SEC, where like every team is going to have future NFL players on defense. Yeah, my model has something called conference factor, um, and it's it, it looks at basically that, right? Uh, and the and and it weighs different conferences. You know, a, a lot of the higher end conferences, whether it's Big Ten or or uh, SEC, uh, even the ACC, it'll all rank the same within my model. But when you get to like the Pac-12, it's like th- this is this is where you sort of shift things, and it, it doesn't, you know, just just from testing things, um, you know, things do change a little bit. So given where he played. Uh, does matter at wide receiver. It doesn't really seem to get much signal at running back uh, competition, um, but largely probably because draft capital reflects that enough uh, yeah. and you get enough out of that out of draft capital. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely matters that he uh, played where he played. And again, he produced very, very well. I mean, there's some questions about like his BMI, his size. Maybe you could question that. The guy who who I think he comps to very, very favorably, at least in my model, was Calvin Ridley. I mean, it's it's like almost identical. Yeah. The things that I look at versus what uh, Jameson Williams and Calvin Ridley did. I mean, both guys, and it's so stupid that they, you know, it's just like such an obvious. Both like, went to Bama, yeah, yeah. Like it's such. And I mean, obvious... Ridley was what twenty four when he came in too, because like, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly why Ridley was so old as a prospect, but I just he... remember being like, he's so old. Yeah, so both of them had had pretty identical breakout ages, depending on how you uh, calculate breakout age. But um, you know their breakout ages were really similar. Ridley just entered college like as a, a very old player, which is why yeah. he uh, you know entered the NFL as an old player. But they had similar breakout ages. Uh, Ridley's best season saw him with five point nine receptions per game. Williams at five point three. Ridley's best season touchdown share was thirty five percent. Williams thirty one point three percent. Ridley's top uh, year in, in yards per team pass attempt was two point nine eight. Williams was two point seven five. So Williams to me is just like a little bit worse of a version of Calvin Ridley on paper. Um, you know, maybe he finds a spot where he can blow up and do well and et cetera, et cetera. 
but like that's you know that's the the tier the caliber that we're looking at the three comps in my in my guide for Jamison Williams was Calvin Ridley Jerry Judy and Deami Brown those were the three that that seemed to pop the most for him which makes sense especially with a guy like Deami Brown you know a vertical threat able to stretch the field Uh, I think that's what we're looking at with Jamison Williams all right, what does your stuff make of, of Wandale? Because he was the guy I wanted to have a great combine. I wanted Wandale to be 5'9". You know, I wanted him to get up to 185 pounds. He wasn't close. He was, uh, I, I think, in the end. Wandale was 5'8", 178, which is, you know, it's not as much of a death knell, obviously, as it would have been five years ago for his draft capital. I mean, for example, um, you know, that's only five pounds less than Garrett Wilson. That's 10 pounds less than Chris Alave. I, I just, I thought it was weird. He was so small since he was literally recruited to play running back at the university of Nebraska and was actually running back as a freshman. Um, he's the guy I, I just want to get drafted high and go to a good spot, but the, the combine was really disappointing for him. Yeah. Look, so the way that I kind of look at these guys, cause obviously I'm coming at it from an analytical perspective, but the way that I look at prospects is they're sort of like entering as perfect prospects. And then instead of like saying like, I'm not going to draft this guy because of X, I just view any knock on a player as a red flag more than anything else. Right. Like they can make up, it's it's not like a death sentence, but him being five foot eight to me does matter. Like there, there is a uh, threshold uh, when we're looking at history where we haven't really seen a five foot eight wide receiver do anything in fantasy football. And, and maybe you could argue Tyree kill because his pro day, technically he was in the five, eight range, five, eight, five, nine range. Um, but at the same time, you know, him being listed in the NFL, like five eleven, it makes you question the pro day measurements a little bit. And I'm yeah. working off of guys who went to the combine and who were drafted. So Tyree kill is in my model, but he's uh, his pro day measurements were just iffy, right? Cause it's a pro day. And so uh, the only player since 2011 uh, in my model. So guys who went to the combine, uh, and guys who were drafted that really has done anything in fantasy football at five, eight or shorter has been Jamison Crowder. Like that's it. Like that's, that's the best player that we're looking at. And Crowder, by the way, very similar in terms of like played for a shitty team was kind of all they had on offense. And the team was worse on offense in the years preceding and the years after that mm-hmm. Crowder was there. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's pretty interesting to me. Cause I, it's so funny. Like I hate Crowder now. Cause he just is like this, you know, it's, it's such like, he's like the old boring guy now and yeah. signs with the bills and his, but like, as a prospect, I like guys like that. Like I like guys who are just uber productive at these smaller schools and who you can get with, you know, sec. I mean, if Wandale goes in the, third round of the NFL draft, he'll probably be a third round rookie pick would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's no, there's no problem with saying that it's possible that Wandell Robinson could be something significant in the NFL as a fantasy asset, because again, like, you know, if you look at guys who are five foot nine, some of them have panned out in recent memory. They've panned out. You got Hollywood Brown, you got Elijah Moore, you got, uh, I think Hollywood might've been five ten, but you got Elijah Moore, at least Steve Smith back in the day. Uh, the problem is you also with, with Wandell's comp list, like his three comps in my prospect guide are Elijah Moore, Marquise Brown, but also Tutu Atwell. Like you're, you're running oh, into this man. issue of like Tutu, Tutu was also a, an incredibly productive college so productive. player yeah. and versatile. And it's a similar situation as Wandell here. Um, and so I do think that it, again, it just, it, it, it forces these red flags. It forces you to think of these guys 
a little bit differently. It's not like a complete avoid situation, but there's enough good talent in this class where I do think that a five foot eight measurement can and should push a guy down. Now, if he finds a spot where you feel confident in the offensive coordinator, you think that they can utilize a guy like that creatively. That's one thing, but anytime that you start to like make excuses for a player and you need them to be in a certain spot so that they can be used in a certain way. And like, you're just, you're, it's sort of like Rondell Moore last year. Like, like I didn't mind Rondell Moore. Don't get me wrong. Like I had him in that same tier with a lot of those other guys. That but I mean, Rondell, with. Rondell went to a spot where it's like, Oh my God, like Cliff's going to know how to use him. And, right. he, and it just, I mean, it kind of went in waves. The, the frustrating part of that was like, he looked pretty promising for like the first month of the season and then when Hopkins got hurt, instead of expanding his role, they just freaking bring in Antoine Wesley and leave Rondell yeah. doing the same thing. And, and number one, what does that tell you? But number two, like, I'm not saying that Rondell won't become anything from here on out. I'm more so saying, like, we want our guys immediately to appreciate and value from, from yeah. a dynasty standpoint. And Rondell's did not do that, especially versus some of the other guys in that range. Like, if you were drafting Elijah Moore over Rondell Moore this past year, you're probably not happy right now. Like even, uh, you know, it, it, you know, if you were drafting him over most of even like a Rashad Bateman, I mean, you're probably not happy that you would take Rondell over, over Bateman. And I'm not saying that Rondell can't or won't be someone like, I, I'm fine if you want to go buy Rondell right now. I'm just saying yeah. that the more excuses that you make for players, um, you know, that that's at least something that should, should be a spark in your brain to say, okay, maybe this guy isn't as good because I have to make these excuses and I have to think this way. Um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Tyreek Hill worked out, but we should not assume that a player is ever going to be Tyreek Hill because he's clearly one of a kind. Right. So who are some of the guys that your model seems to be more bullish on than the market at this point? You know, is there, is there, I mean, we all have like our favorite little, you know, our, our, our pet prospects and stuff. So who is, who's uh, one of the guys from your, or a couple of the guys from your model? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just go to sky more for first, um, because yeah. I still think that I'm higher than consensus with him. I, I think that, you know, I think there's a, a, the top five where it ends at Jamison, um, or Alave, whoever you want, but I, I, I personally like Alave quite a bit, despite the lack of early declare status, you know, he's a player who, um, you didn't necessarily need to come back. Um, and, and if you can take that junior year production, and, and he still looks great in a the model, then I'm not as concerned about the lack of early declare status. Um, but a guy like Sky Moore, I, I, you know, just it's, it's incredibly, incredibly interesting. Like he, he's analytically, and then obviously a lot of film people are very into him, but analytically, I'll just read part of the, the stuff that I wrote about him in my guide because I think it's kind of fascinating. But he's the only player in this class with top season marks of at least seven receptions per game 3.4 yards per team pass attempt and a 40% touchdown share. So if you use those filters um, and you look at players since 2011 to hit those numbers, here's the list that you get uh, as long as those guys went top 70 overall, which is what where, where Sky Moore is projected to go. But the list of players that hit those thresholds, Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd, Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, Jordan Matthews, Sammy Watkins, Allen Robinson, Andy Isabella, Devontae Smith, and Elijah Moore. It was literally only Andy Isabella that you would be upset about drafting in a rookie draft, um, you know, with a late first, early second round pick. Um, and so I am, I am very, very into Sky Moore. You don't often see early declare smaller school, you know, non-power five players come out. Get the wide draft receiver capital. And get the draft capital. The yeah. last guy to get this kind of draft capital like that was probably Devontae Adams. 
Um, and then you look yeah. back at other early declare non-power five wideouts. Cortland Sutton's one. Gabe Davis is one. You could argue, you know, Deontay Johnson goes either way because he basically just was out of football for a year, but he only played for three years at Toledo. I mean, there's there are there are reasons to be very very bullish on Sky Moore, um, and I, I I think that he's a a slam dunk pick if you can get him in like the wide receiver seven to wide receiver ten range in rookie drafts. Yeah, no, I I think you I think you are are certainly right about that. A guy I really wanted to have a, I mean, just a fine combine would have been good for David Bell. I was pretty in yeah. to David Bell because he was, um, I mean, one is he was super productive when playing alongside Rondell Moore, which is pretty good. I mean, uh, as, as a freshman at, uh, at Purdue, he had a thousand yards uh, and, and, you know, Rondell only played in four games, but was more productive than another NFL player, Bryson Hopkins. And man, his combine was so bad. And I think, in this class with, you know, guys like Christian Watson, who did do really well at the combine, like, uh, you know, even guys like Alec Pierce and shit like that. I think, I think he's going to go, I think he's really going to tumble, but I, I like from a production and age perspective, I was really into him. Yeah, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm not as much anymore because I'm worried about the capital. I'm worried about the slide. Um, you know, I, in, in my model, it doesn't care about athleticism, uh, measurables at all. Like it, it doesn't matter how fast they run the 40, any of that, because at the end of the day, it's likely going to be captured in draft capital in some way it does matter a little bit at running back. I do care about speed score at running back, but at wide receiver, you know, I, I, I'm more concerned about how they slip in draft capital and draft stock by how they do at the combine, as opposed to what my model is going to directly say. And so my model uh, has David Bell's an 84th percentile prospect right now. Um, and that's with, you know, a, a, a draft capital that's, that's slipping, that's dropping a little bit because it was such an uninspiring uh, combine that he had. But I will say, and I know a lot of other people who look at this stuff analytically have said the same thing and seen the same thing. One of his comps is Devonte Adams. Like it, it's, I, you know, you just have to throw it out there. You got to look at that and you say, okay, there's a path to him being relevant in some way. I will also say though, his other top comp is Devier Posey. So yeah, it's you like, can't, you, the, this is the, I mean, this is the meme now is every guy who's productive in college and then is slow as you're like, well, worked out for Devonte Adams, right, you know, right. and, and you and can't do that. You can't, can't do, do that. that. But, but, but again, he has, he has very similar sizes, Adams. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously not a, a speedy guy, uh, very productive in college. He has those things going for him. So I can understand that comp from a objective standpoint, but obviously, but he, here's the other thing too, with comps is that like, like, no one knew Devontae Adams was going to be what he what he became slash Devontae Adams wasn't even good in the NFL for the first two years of his career. Like he was people, one of the most people forget that people yeah. have, have completely uh, memory like, you know, like uh, men in black memory wipe that like Devontae Adams heading into his third season. It, he was left for dead. I mean, he, yeah. he, he was like a 18th round redraft pick. You could have had him for free in Dynasty. Yeah, and the other thing with with David Bell, another comp that sort of popped up with him was Chris Godwin, but the problem is that he didn't have the athleticism, right? If yeah. he would have gone to the combine and had the athleticism like a Chris Godwin, then you're like, oh, okay, like this could be that kind of player. Like that's that's who we could be looking at, but he just didn't. And that's why, you know, right now, it's just hard to be like very, very bullish on him. I think I have him at like wide receiver eight or nine or something like that in my in my rankings right now. Yeah, Um. so... The running backs, um, we, we did have, uh, I mean, like, I, you just got to be a little concerned about Spiller right now. I mean, he was supposed to be really fast. 
he was fine. I mean, he did run under a four, six or whatever, which I saw some people saying, like, as long as he ran under a four, six, you know, it's, it's fine or whatever, but I, I don't see a reasonable way to rank Spiller over Kenneth Walker personally. No. And I, I had Spiller over Walker at the start of my process with this in January. I think, I think everyone did. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's just changed. It shifted because again, like, I think that what's important is to always keep in mind what we're trying to solve, what other people versus what other people are trying to solve. And like, there's a lot of people who will watch film for their, to, to get their analysis for these players. And it's not like I don't watch Like I still watch these guys. It's just that my process uh, is very heavily numbers driven. Um, and you know, I, I think that what gets lost is that what we're trying to solve is that we're trying to win in fantasy football with these prospects and, and with prospecting, right? Like at the end of the day, we're, we're taking any inputs that we can get to be better at fantasy and predicting who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. And I think it's okay if we are changing our outlook on players based on what we think draft capital is going to look like, because there's an inherent evaluation going on with millions of dollars behind these teams and their processes and how they're prospecting these guys. I think it's totally fine to be like, okay, yeah, Isaiah Spiller went from maybe an early second round pick in January where he was being mocked to now maybe he's a day three pick. And if that's the case, we know that hit rates decrease dramatically when, when you get out of round two, even right to, to round three and to round four, et cetera, but definitely into day three. And so when you get to day three, if he is a day three guy, you know, there are some things to his profile that aren't bad at all. I mean, like he's, he's still a bigger bodied guy who caught a lot of passes in college, which is something that, you know, that kind of combo you don't see all that often. And I will say Le'Veon Bell. Right. And I will say objectively, like he had some of the best comps within my model, like comp wise. And I, I don't just go off of player comparables and that's it. But uh, the three comps that he, that I put in my prospect guide for Isaiah Spiller were Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon and Todd Gurley. And the, 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 the problem with that though, is that a lot of those guys didn't necessarily see, I mean, look at Isaiah Spiller too. Like he wasn't, he didn't see a ton of work on the ground, but he was also utilized as a receiver, but then they all had like a little bit bigger bodies. Uh, but the difference is that I don't know if he has the athleticism of those guys. And that that's what we're now seeing and finding out with this pro day and how awful that looked um, and, and the way that he's slipping in drafts. So, uh, you know, if he was athletic, if he had the athleticism, I would be very bullish on Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller. But at this point, it's really hard to be because of that, that draft capital slipping. Well, and I mean, the other really interesting thing about him is that he, uh, you know, he was in, he was in a timeshare with another running back, uh, Devin, uh, a Shane, who is, um, I think he is not eligible. I think he's coming out. Yeah. He'll be coming out next year. And that, you know, he was more productive, fewer touches, more yards, more yards per touch, more touchdowns caught just as many passes. And so, I mean, this is kind of like the wide receiver thing where it's like when you're, mm-hmm. when your teammate is a little bit better than you, it's, it's kind of hard to parse out what exactly that means, especially if it comes out that, you know, I mean, and this is something we will learn, you know, in the future, but like, what if, a, what if a Shane, uh, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but what if he is not even that good, you know, and that's, that's kind of one of those things that we right. learn after the fact. It reminds me, it reminds me a bit of, I mean, it's not the same player at all. It's actually like the reverse kind of player, but it almost reminds me of like the Kalen Balazs situation from a few years ago, handful of years ago, where he was splitting a backfield with Demario Richards. And uh, there were a lot of folks who were really into Balazs, but then you have to wonder and start to question, you know, at that point we knew what kind of uh, player Richard was 
because he was also eligible at the time. And so like you could very, you could very easily make an apples to apples comparison, but um, you know, it's just one of those situations where you, you have to be cognizant of that kind of stuff when, when digging into these guys' profiles. And when there are two running backs who very clearly, you know, had their backfield were, were general workhorses, especially Brees Hall, um, then, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to just put those guys ahead of a guy like Spiller, especially when you know that their draft capital is going to look better. I mean, at this point, we know that there's like a 95 plus percent chance that Kenneth Walker goes ahead of Isaiah Spiller in this draft. And I, you know, that alone can signal that you should be drafting a, a Kenneth Walker over Isaiah Spiller. Right. Um, so the, the quarterbacks, I mean, what does, uh, what is your model? I mean, modeling quarterbacks is so difficult. It's like, it's like almost kind of like a, like a, yeah, I actually don't even, I don't even have a quarterback or tight end model, honestly. I, I, because it's just, it's so, I haven't found, I haven't really like, like, I'm not going to publish something just to publish it. Like I want to test it. I want to make sure it's good. And I just haven't found anything that's good enough at the quarterback position, but I think there's enough, like, you know, there are things that I look at in terms of like, you know, draft capital, obviously. And like, you know, you want a good landing spot for these guys and you want to see what their mobility looks like. And you want to see uh, generally where their, their age adjusted, what their age adjusted production looks like and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, this quarterback class is just like, not, not great on paper. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say it does seem as if there is um, some Malik Willis hype picking up at uh yeah. at this point you know it seems like Matt there is a, right now too there it seems like a like a decent chance that willis either gets picked by the lions at two or some team has to trade up for him um which is uh that that would be a a good sign for like his rookie pick value for sure yeah i mean like right now i i have like if you're doing a super flex rookie draft i have malik at 102 i have Brees hall ahead of him uh and it, but if it is a situation where you know he gets really good capital there's a team that trades up he's like a top 10 pick then it's a lot easier to be like okay i'm just gonna go with malik in a super flex format dynasty format go with him at 101 because there's something backing this um etc i just i don't know and i've seen takes of like malik's value in like best ball drafts right now yeah uh, and, and people being like you know, this is arbitrage on uh, Trey Lance or it's arbitrage on you know, Justin Fields, whoever, like guys who are going to produce on the ground and through the air, but mostly on the ground and get the bulk of their production on the ground from a fantasy standpoint. I don't really think that that's, I think that from a season long perspective where you can just pick a guy up, like that's fine. But I think in best ball, you're risking the chance and it's a good chance that Malik might not even like play in 2022. Like he, he, he might not even get, get a start until let's say week eight. Like let's, let's say he goes to Detroit. Let's say that he goes to Atlanta, one of these spots, right? Uh, what are the odds that he plays right away? I think that the odds are pretty slim. Like I, I would guess that a guy like Goff gets a fair shot for at least the first half of the season. And if he's playing well, he'll continue to play. If he's not, then maybe we see Malik step on the field. You know, same thing with Marcus Mariota, who they just signed in Atlanta. I mean, like, like I think that they're going to get fair enough shots and yes, I, you know, at the end of the day, we always see these rookie quarterbacks find the field earlier than we expect. Um, but I do think unless that it's you, Trey Lance. Yeah. Unless it's Trey. But again, but that, that's the mold of like a very raw prospect, right? right. And, Mal- and Malik is that same mold where it's just a very raw prospect where there's a high ceiling, low floor. And it's the same thing with, with what we dealt with, with Trey Lance, small sample size and such. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think that you're running the risk in like a best ball format where you can't make up for a pick like that. And it's not like the quarterback position is one where you like 
need to find these like insane edges at, right? Because you you generally know the way the quarterback position is gonna gonna play out. Um, you know, and there's not that much variance from one to the next. So I just don't think like that's worth it because I do think there's a risk that a guy like like Willis ends up just like not playing that much this year. Whereas a guy like Kenny Pickett, you know, if he were to go to Carolina, let's say, I think that there would be a decent shot that he could start week one or, you know, a guy like guy like him going to Seattle or something like that. Start. Yeah. Start pretty early. So um, the running back class, I mean, really there are three guys and it is, uh, it is not all that deep, but I mean, do you have a favorite of the, Rashad White, James Cooks, Tyler Alligier grouping of of guys. Yeah, you know, I, I like Rashad White a lot. Uh, he's my RB4 right now. I just don't think that the draft capital is going to match where the fantasy community sort of sees him. Uh, but his top comp, his comps in my model were really good, but his top comp uh, was David Johnson. Um, that's To me, that's oh, the kind of, of, love of to player that we're... Yeah. And it's amazing where I, I tweet that out that Rashad White's top comp was David Johnson and people are like not enthused. And I'm like, I'm like, how, how are you not excited about David? Like people forget how good David Johnson was. I mean, like if, if you get a second round rookie pick who turns into what David Johnson's career was, I mean, you're, you're gold. I mean, Such that's exactly, yeah, yeah, that's what you want. I mean, David Johnson was a top 10 dynasty asset for a little while. He, he but, finished number one overall in one yeah. season of his career. Like, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, like, yeah, you want that. So Rashad White's comps were David Johnson, Jay Ajayi, and Tevin Coleman. So very good comps uh, for a guy who's, you know, he's an 84th percentile prospect in my model right now. He's actually like right there with Isaiah Spiller uh, in terms of prospect score. Isaiah Spiller was like 0.6 percentage points ahead. Um, so he's a good prospect overall. I mean, the one thing that I think is, that's going overlooked with White a little bit is that it took him a second to get to where he got in college. His journey you know, he started at, at Nebraska Kearney, uh, which I've never even heard of before. It's like a, a satellite campus, I think for like Nebraska. Right. Uh, and then, you know, he transferred to a, a Juco school where he plays his sophomore year. And then he finally got to Arizona state. Um, but he didn't really give us production until the senior season. Until so senior like season. So like, we can't, you know, this is not a flawless prospect by any means. And I think sometimes the way people talk about white is that they're aren't many red flags, but there definitely are some red flags. And I think the biggest one is the fact that he's an older-ish prospect who really had to like go through a lot to get to where he got. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, do you have any thoughts on the tight ends? So we, we had Jalen Weidermeyer's pro day yesterday and he ran like an offensive lineman. I, I think he's going to go undrafted now. Uh, one of the, one of the interesting guys is the UCLA guy, Greg, Greg Dolchich, uh, who was, reasonably productive his final season in not a very good passing offense he he seems a little interesting to me maybe a guy who gets pumped up a little bit in the draft because just because we're all like all these teams are are looking for you know pass catching tight ends what 42 receptions 725 yards five touchdowns as a senior and i i you know the the breakout age and things like that for tight ends it's like yeah it's nice um, you know, we all love that Kyle Pitts got on the field younger, but like tight end, so much of it is just about like opportunity. And if a team actually gives them that role. Yeah. One guy who is kind of climbing for me is Jelani Woods uh, out of Virginia. You know, I, I, again, I don't prospect tight ends the same way I do running backs and wide receivers for he, a lot he of had reasons. A crazy combine pro day. But, but he, he is, he's six foot seven and he's like 250 plus. And he ran, I don't remember what, I, I think his 40 was like four, six, four, six, one or something like that. Uh, but I mean, like he, 
he's he's just he's a monster. He I, I remember why because I watched a ton of Pitt uh this past year, especially because yeah. they were great and I loved, you know, I'm a I'm a Pitt alum, it was great. Uh, but I remember when Virginia played them and Jelani Wood just ate them apart. And I was watching, yeah. I was like, I was like, who is this? Who guy? is this guy? Yeah. And my like he was just a behemoth. I mean, the guy is a monster. And like that's the kind of like like I've done a lot of studies on finding breakout tight ends and redraft leagues and stuff and like what you look for and stuff. Speed height adjusted speed score and 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 measurables in general are so important at the tight end position from a fantasy perspective. Uh a lot more than wide receiver, a lot more than even running back. Um, and Woods is someone who has that size, uh, speed, uh, you know, that athleticism combo um that that I that I tend to look for and, and want, you know, like you mentioned the Weidermeyer thing. I mean, like he's, he's just like off my draft list. He's now. just gone. Like he's, yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. I think Trey McBride's going to be the, the easy go-to uh, at tight end one. Um, but I, I do think there are some, some interesting dart throws outside of that, which, which Jelani Woods being, being the one that's probably top of my list as like a, from like a dart throw standpoint. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little interested in Charlie Kalar. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know how much he ran, but I mean, he caught 23 touchdowns. He, he mm -hmm. played as like a primary pass catching tight end for uh, it's interesting. Like they were, they, what's the name of their, their stupid quarterback who like was such a, who was such a prospect and then just like got worse every single year. Um, but I mean, he's, he's super slow, like, like really low, uh, really low speed score and everything like that. But I'm, I'm a little interested in him if he, signs anywhere good let's uh i mean that i think that was a good uh that was a good tease for the prospect model so why don't we tell people where to buy it and uh the the late round draft guide and just uh, all of the all the in-season stuff that will be coming from lateround.com yeah and the usc quarterback that you're thinking of is slovis who who just who who just transferred to Pitt and is now not, Pitt's not, not Slovis Brock Purdy was the guy I was thinking oh, okay. of who is like unbelievable and then literally got worse every single year. But yeah, Slovis I, is same thing. Basically. It's a very same, yeah, very similar trajectory where it was like, Oh, this dude's going to win the Heisman. And then it's just like, okay, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the prospect guide you can uh, purchase over on LateRound.com. Uh, you know, I, what I did was, is I talked through what my, what goes into my prospect model for a good, like 20 plus pages. Uh, and I just, you know, there's some dad jokes thrown in there to make it interesting and such. Uh, and then I, I profile every single player that went to the combine. Um, and so there's profiles on 76 players overall, uh, from a prospect standpoint. And then I also have my year two model in there, which looks at prospect scores, how a player did in year one as a rookie. And it, there's a formula uh, that spits out where these guys rank in percentile ranking um, for year two and year three. It tries to predict how these guys are going to perform in year two or year three. So like, you know, what do you think about Amon Ross St. Brown? Well, there's a model for that to, to right. at least help you and guide you a little bit. So I did profile nifty. 15 wide receivers in that and 10 running backs in that. Um, so, you know, if you, if you're sitting there in your dynasty league and you have Trey Sermon and you're wondering what the heck to do with him, if you have Elijah Mitchell and you're wondering what to do with him, that's all profiled in the prospect guide as well. There we go. Uh, everyone, lateround.com, sign up, get the get the prospect guide, get the draft guide, sign up for the Patreon, and uh, yeah, support support Mr. Guy Who Hates Gronk. How, how tilted are you that Gronk just won't go away? Is that, it's is not that tilting at all. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even remotely tilting because I don't hate Gronk. <laughs> I had to, you know, I just, I had to bring it back to, uh, to the beginning. So everyone late round.com, 
Uh, and we will be back with more Fantasy Football Podcasts next week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.